Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. A nice Chianti. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. This week's episode, I'm calling the Confederacy of Quinces, because sometimes, sometimes you come up with a title that it merits you working backwards and reverse engineering an episode from, because it's just that good. You know, we're, we're talking about predominantly in this episode, a remarkable little fruit called the quince and uh, how you can use it, how you can use it culinarily, a little bit of its history, uh, because it's not something that a lot of people just don't know about, you know, as for, you know, making of the food, we do have something a little bit substantial that's garnished in uh, accoutremented (laughs) with uh, some quince products, but you know, I do want to focus on the fruit itself. So I have a quince tree that I planted, oh, at this point, probably in the neighborhood of six or seven years ago. And this was the first year that we actually harvested any fruit from it. So this is the first time that I've gotten to, you know, work with quince firsthand, you know, as like making the products myself. Now, in the, in the past, I've had quince jelly that other people have made. And that seems to be most people's experience with quince is quince jelly because it's one, it's very attractive. It, 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 color wise, it's very pretty. It tastes good. I mean, it's a you can't, it's, it's hard to go wrong with jelly. I mean, it's, it's mostly sugar, you know what I mean? Um, but it does taste very good. But it's also really easy to make. Uh, quince itself has a lot of pectin in the fruit. So whenever, you know, you, the, through the cooking process, you're going to extract a lot of that. So it, it sets up as a jelly very easily. So, you know, a lot of people have had quince jelly. But in addition to that, which is, you know, relatively pedestrian, um, I made a, a quince poached in a fragrant spiced syrup, and that was very good. All right, so let's talk about the quince itself. The quince fruit is, you know, in the genus Sedonia, which is in the subtribe Malony, which is the same subtribe that contains things like apples and pears. And they are remarkably similar. The shape is reminiscent of, you know, various different uh, cultivars of pear. The the cross section. I can't remember what the terminology is, but there is a there is a word that uh, is used to describe the way the seeds of an apple are stored within the fruit. Like there's these five little pockets that contain the seeds, and quince have a very similar seed structure inside. Like there's like a a, a fibrous core with these little pockets containing the seeds. Now the seeds are more populous in the quince than they are in the apple, but they're configured very similarly. Uh, The difference is that quince isn't a fruit that you're going to eat fresh because it's super duper hard. It's, uh, It's somewhat bitter, sour. The word that is often used to describe the flavor is astringent, which has, uh, you know, 
a pretty strong connotation as far as uh, you know flavor and mouthfeel and all that kind of stuff goes. But once you cook the fruits, they transform delightfully. They, they become soft and palatable. They change color from uh, you know like a pale pale yellow or a white you know flesh, which oxidizes very quickly as soon as you cut into these they're going to start turning brown but over the over a period of time of cooking they become like a rosy salmon color which is remarkable a lot of times you'll see them described as extremely fragrant or perfumed or aromatic they do have a pleasant aroma to them in their raw form but i didn't find it remarkable or overpowering mine i don't believe were fully ripened uh, normally they will ripen before the first frost we've had a couple of frosts like light frosts at the point in which i harvested these so perhaps if they had set fruit a little earlier if the frost came a week or two later they would have become more fragrant but you know they were what they were. The fruit itself is native to the area around the Caspian Sea, which, again, if you relate this back to the apple, which is like the closest analog that I can think of just off the top of my head, having, having worked with the fruit itself, having observed the way the tree grows, the way the fruit sets, the, the flavor, the, the cross-section, all that kind of stuff, it makes a lot of sense. Apples are actually native to Kazakhstan, which, I mean, it's not right there up against the Caspian Sea, but it's pretty close. I mean, it's a stone's throw or maybe several stones thrown several times. I don't know. But it's at least in the same part of the world that, uh, that the apple comes from. So it makes sense that those two fruits would be at least uh, tangentially related. You know, if not cousins, maybe second cousins, maybe, maybe kishin cousins. I don't know. All right. So let's talk about what we made this week. First, we're going to talk about making quince jelly because that's, you know, that's sort of the standard thing that a lot of people have experienced. This uh, requires a kind of a an extended cooking process to extract the pectin from the fruit, to soften the fruit, to get the fruit to change color from, you know, brown, brown oxidized white to rosy salmon pink. So we're looking at, you know, roughly a, a three to three and a half hour uh, simmering time, and then maybe eh, another half hour to 45 minutes of jelly making after that. But uh, you definitely want to take a look at the show notes for the episode. We will have recipes for the two quince products that we made, as well as the actual entree, which is a porchetta-style pork shoulder that is garnished with quince jelly and served with the, the poached quince and some asparagus or something like that. It was really good. Uh, the, the, the flavor contrasts were really nice between like the vanilla uh, and cinnamon notes of the poached quince to the uh, sort of the, the fennel black licorice hinted flavor of of the quince jelly. A little bit of sweet with the savory, I you know, you know, a sweet accoutrement with roasted pork is pretty traditional, pretty classic. And this was um, this was on point for that. Okay, so uh, let's talk about it. Let's get back into quince jelly. You start off yeah, roughly four pounds of and this recipe calls for slightly underripe quinces, you know, extra hard, basically, that we're going to, we're going to cook the life out of and cook the flavor into or, or, or whatever. 
and I just so happened that I had exactly enough. I had like this, like I said, it's the first year that this tree has produced fruit. So the fact that I got, you know, four pounds plus like two or three extras <laughs> for the other recipe was fortunate. So we got four pounds of quince. Uh, when you when you wash them and scrub the surface, they you'll notice that they do have a bit of a a residue on them. The when the when the fruit sets initially, it has a lot of these little fuzzy white hairs, and as it matures, those filaments I don't want to say they die, but they 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 break down a little bit. And they create sort of a a texture or a, a a residue on on the rind of the fruit. So you can wash them just with water in a scrubby sponge and uh, they clean up really nicely get all that crap off of them and they look great so we you know washed our quinces and scrubbed the scrubbed the surface and and they dressed up very nicely all right a uh, bunch of water um, sugar so you want to account for you know if you're starting with four pounds of quince make provisions for having four cups of sugar you do, you're probably not going to need that much but we'll get to that later okay it's just that you're, you'll need some amount of sugar between you know zero and four cups you just can't say exactly how much you're going to need until you know how much of the res, of the liquid that you have resulting after the boil goes down okay a lemon for juice you know the juice of a lemon just use a lemon it's it's easy enough and then a couple uh pods of star anise for flavor okay so what you're going to do is you're going to cut the fruits up into quarters into eighths something like that and the first thing you're going to notice is the core of these apple like fruits are very robust all right i get to use robust in this episode yes they are very robust it is difficult to pass a knife through the core of these in fact it's not like you're not just going to like cut through them you might have to use the butt of your hand to pound the knife through the core of the fruit so be careful with that but you cut these up into quarters into eighths depending on how big the fruits are and then put those into a large stock pot to that, you're going to add seven cups of water or enough water to just cover the fruit, just come up to the surface, and then simmer that for three hours at least. I think I went three and a half hours because I, you know, I, I started it off, got it up to a boil, cut the the heat down to a simmer, and then covered the pot. And you know, at some point in it between zero and three hours, I checked on it. And while it was hot and steamy, it really wasn't simmering. So I turned it up like a, you know, a quarter of a setting. Uh, and that that did the trick. So I went for three and a half hours there. And at the three and a half hour mark, you, you take the lid off and you like, wow, somebody replaced my boring white fruit quarters with this really vibrant, rosy, salmon-y, uh, like a papaya uh, color. And it was wonderful. So once you get to that point, let that cool down a little bit, okay? And then you need to press that fruit through a sieve and try to extract as much liquid as you can. Now, what I did was I took, um, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the fruit and put it into a blender and basically made a puree and then mix that back in to the rest of the fruit and the liquid, which that mixing action served to kind of break down uh, the rest of the fruit without really pulverizing it into a paste. And then all that fruit I placed into into a sieve and 
pressed it through. And now I believe if you look at the imager album that I have attached or linked in the show notes, you'll see that like the way my uh, filtering process went was like the, the fruit went into the sieve. The sieve was set into a colander with, um, uh, it wasn't cheesecloth. I, I like to use flour sack, sack cloths uh, as a, as a filtering uh, medium. So that was set into the colander and then the colander was set over a pot. So I was going through the sieve, through the flour sack cloth, through the colander, and then into a pot collecting the liquid in a pot bowl whatever so when you do this you want to measure the liquid that you have gotten from you know this simmering period and that you squeezed out of the cooked fruit if you have four cups you're going to use all four cups of sugar if you're going to, if you have less than four cups you're just going to use an equal amount so it's a one-to-one ratio and the, the 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 liquor, if you will, and sugar. I ended up with only like one and a half cups of liquid, so I use one and a half cups of sugar. The juice of a lemon, throw you know one to two star anise uh, pods into there, and then we got to cook this uh, pre jelly. Okay, now, like I said, there's a lot of pectin in the uh in the quince fruit itself so that's going to help it thicken and set kind of like gelatin but in addition to the natural pectin what we want to do is we want to partially candy the sugar content so how you do that is using well you know it'll say using a, a candy thermometer but if you have a probe thermometer something that you can measure the temperature of this foamy boiling sugary concoction you want to get that temperature up to 220 degrees and you think cool you can get it up there instantly right just crank the heat it'll boil it'll come to a boil and it'll pass the boiling point and it'll get super hot well thing is you really do have to reduce the water content of this mixture in order for it to be able to get beyond 212 to 213 degrees because the boiling action is going to uh, allow a lot of the energy to escape this liquid so it's going to be stuck at like 212 213 for a while until a lot of that water boils off and that will allow the sugar to accumulate heat and get a little bit hotter and you know, be careful like don't just have it rocking on full heat the whole time um, but keep it foamy check it every couple of minutes and you'll see like it'll it'll climb pretty steadily it'll go it'll start off at 213 then a couple minutes later you'll see it jump up to 215 and then and then it's sort of the the intervals between degrees shortens the higher it goes so the time to go from 212 to 215 is longer than for it to go to two from 215 to 219 or 220 once it hits 220 kill the heat and then you can put that into mason jars, affix the the lids and the rings, water bath can it. You know, if you if you get if it's water bath canned and you've popped down the lid on that, you can keep that at uh, room temperature 
for, I believe, up to a year. But you definitely want to check your canning guide because I don't want to give you any bad information on canning because that is, you know, that's a life or death situation. And uh, I'm not here to give you canning advice. I'm here to tell you how to make dinner. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's the uh, quince jelly with star anise. And that is all fantastic. Next up, we're going to make some spiced quince in syrup. Okay. And for this one, we only need two quinces. So that, you know, we're going to quarter them. So that's going to give us eight quarters. Now, here's the thing. When, when the fruit is cooked, it is uh, super soft and palatable. It's, it's almost like a poached pear in terms of its uh, texture. The aroma of the cooked fruit, it really, ah, man, I couldn't get sweet potato out of my mind. Couple that with the texture. You know, the te a poached pear is not that far off from a sweet potato. Uh, it really had a nice, like, sweet potato sort of mouthfeel, flavor, and aroma. So uh, any, I'm probably going to think about this for next year, that uh, something that, you know, maybe like a sweet potato pie, but using uh, quince, cooked quince instead might be, might be in the makings. Who knows? But anyway, for this... Um, we're going to use two quinces and we're going to peel those and quarter them. Uh, don't do that until you're just about ready to actually get this cooking process started because, like I said, they oxidize so fast. Like it's, I mean, you, you cut one in half and by the time you, you cut one of those halves into quarters, the other half is nice and rusty rusty brown on the outside. All right, so we're going to use those two quinces, uh, peeled and quartered. Put that at the bottom of your list. Get this other stuff together first. A couple tablespoons of uh, butter, a quarter cup of sugar. I used one cup. You you can use something sweet. You can use like a, and I, and this is, oh boy, this is like the one time I'm going to tell you to use a sweet wine, you know, an ice wine, a dessert wine, a sweet white wine. You can use that. I, if you're anything like me, you have this bottle of St. Germain uh, elderflower liqueur in your liquor cabinet that's been there for, I don't know, probably two years because two years ago you had that, you know, elderflower and gin cocktail at somebody's pool party and you're like, hey, I can make this. So you get a big bottle of St. Germain and you use like three tablespoons of it over the course of two summers. And you're like, what am I going to do with the rest of this stuff? Well, this is what you can do with the rest of it. A cup, a cup, a whole cup of St. Germain uh, liqueur, a couple cardamom pods. I think I used three of them. Oh my God. Cardamom <sighs> has to be one of the most intoxicating of the, of the spice smells. I mean, to me, cardamom is second only to the smell of like gasoline. And I love the smell of gasoline. <laughs> that's why, that's why, that's why this podcast is the way it is, you know? All right. So uh, a couple of cardamom pods, a cinnamon stick, and uh, listen, use a stick. Don't don't substitute, you know, a, a, a half teaspoon of cinnamon. You want to keep the dust to a minimum here. A lot of people will make the uh, the quince jelly with cinnamon, but it always has like gritty cinnamon residue spread throughout the, the jelly itself. Use a cinnamon stick, you know, get a little container of it, you know, a bunch of cinnamon sticks or whatever. You'll, you'll, you'll thank me when you want cinnamon flavor, but you don't want cinnamon texture. That's the best way to go. Okay. I used a couple slices of dehydrated lemon 
you might not have this. You can buy um, lemon peel, like dehydrated dry lemon peel on like Amazon. Otherwise, if you have a dehydrator, dehydrate some lemon slices. Uh, they are culinarily very useful. I use dehydrated lemon slices and uh, in the pork roast later on, I use dehydrated orange slices and they are just, ooh, so much flavor packed into such a small little package and it's really it's really useful again when you want to add a lemon essence or an orange essence without it being orange juice or lemon juice and i don't really know how to explain it's the difference between like the flavor of lemon oil out of the rind um, as opposed to lemon juice but then you also have all the flavor that was in the lemon juice because those segments and that that pulp has been dried, but it's it's still present. So it's uh, it's the same, but it's different, and it is uh, useful. So give it a shot. All right. So I used a couple couple of those dehydrated lemon slices, uh, one bay leaf, a vanilla bean. Now, I didn't cut this in half and scrape the vanilla bean gunk out of the middle because it was like, hey, I'm gonna. I'm going to be simmering this for a while. We can extract a lot of this vanilla flavor without, you know, making a mess and having to do that whole cutting thing. Again, also, because I, I wanted to keep the texture uh, pretty neutral, so I didn't want a bunch of, you know, vanilla dirt in my, in my syrup. So I just one whole vanilla bean, pop that in there. Maybe a, a half teaspoon, a quarter teaspoon of salt and a cup of water. Now, what do we do here? We get that we get that butter melting in a pan. We add our quince to that. We add the sugar and toss it around. You, and you don't have to you don't have to melt the sugar. You don't have to start caramelizing or candying the sugar. You just want the sugar to be wet with the butter and coat the quince. All right. And then you add all your liquid, you know, the uh, the Saint Germain, the water, all of the the spices, you know, the cinnamon stick, the cardamom pods, the dried lemon slices, the uh, the bay leaf, the vanilla bean, all that kind of stuff. Get it all in there and then simmer them covered for one and a half hours. Okay. Now that will be enough time that those quince quarters, which, oh, that's really fun to say, quince quarters, that those quince quarters will start to turn color. They'll kind of take on a golden pinkish sort of color, but they won't fully bloom into the, the salmon color that the quince did that we use for the jelly. Um, but they'll be great. So, and this is, this is one of those uh, examples where you let all this sort of rest overnight in the fridge and then the next day it's a lot better so like i made these yesterday strained out all of the solids and extracted the seeds from the quince quarters after they were cooked and they were softened up and then i put those all together with the syrup into a bowl put it in the fridge overnight and then heated it up on the stove prior to service today and that was a good idea it turned out fantastic. They were delicious. I love it. I I want to go find a bunch of quince fruits to buy to cook with again because I've used all of mine and uh, they're delightful. All right. So now let's move on to how we use these things to make food that is not just jelly and, uh, you know, syrupy fruits. 
got a semi-boneless pork shoulder. This would be like a, a pork butt, you know, whatever. It goes by a million different names. It's a hunk of meat, approximately three pounds total weight. It'll have a little piece of bone in it, a little piece of that shoulder blade cut that shoulder blade out. And uh, you definitely want to look at the pictures here. What I did was I unrolled this uh, pork shoulder by cutting it and rolling it so that it kind of unfurls into a long strip of meat. And then we have, we have a spice kit here that is pretty similar to what you'd call porchetta seasoning or porchetta seasoning, which is a Spanish-inspired mix of spices that you would use in a porchetta, which would be like a, a pork loin or a pork tenderloin wrapped in pork belly, seasoned inside and out, tied nice and tight, and then roasted. Those can be like seven to ten pounds, or you can do a whole pig porchetta style, which uh, you know will feed half the state of Pennsylvania. But the way that we get this like Spanish spice kit together is there's just a couple. Basically, every component of this is integral, and uh, you can add other things, but don't take any th these things away. Okay, smoked paprika, big big ingredient, oregano. Oregano, oh my God, oregano is in, it's such a staple in Spanish cooking and Italian cooking and Greek cooking. Oregano, oregano, oregano. So oregano gets in there. Garlic, fennel seed, salt and pepper. Easy, breezy, beautiful. You get these all together and uh, it smells intoxicating. And as this cooks, it's going to, it's just going to take over uh, the aroma of your house. So what I did was Season the inside of this like butterflied unrolled pork shoulder and then rolled it up and tied it real tightly with the crisscrossing butcher's knots, like basically like a like an octothorpe or a hashtag where two two strands of twine tied it in the same direction that it was rolled up and then two strands tied it across the body of the meat just to cinch it all together. Now Let's talk about why we tie roasts. Aside from keeping them together, I mean, this this piece of meat unfurled was like two and a half feet long or something like that. So uh, by tying it, you, you make it smaller, obviously. But also what it does is it compresses everything and normalizes the density of the meat across different areas of the roast, okay? So if you just let the meat lay slack naturally, different parts are gonna cook at different speeds, even in, you know, uh, what would you call it? A homogenous environment of an oven. You know, like when you, put, you look in your oven, yeah, there's some temperature variation in there, but it's not that much in the grand scheme of things. If you have your oven set to 350 degrees, every point in that oven's gonna be in the neighborhood of 350 degrees. But parts of the roast that have more fat are going to cook a little slowly because that fat is going to render and drain away from the roast, which pulls heat away from it. It pulls energy away from it. It wicks that heat away from the meat. Um, parts that are not as thick or just have less density, like fewer muscle fibers per square. If you think about it, if you think about it like a thread count on a sheet, um, some of the muscle fibers or some of the muscles have fewer fibers per square inch so they're less dense so by tying it up you compress everything together and you create a, a more uniform density which normalizes the heat ingress from the exterior to the interior from the front to the back from the left to the right etc 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 and it 
looks pretty. Probably the most important thing. <laughs> All right, so we tied that up nice and tight, seasoned it on the outside with the same seasoning that went in the inside, and we put that into a 375-degree oven for just under two and a half hours. Real important. When it has come up to the desired temperature, which in this case I'm looking for about 140 degrees internal temperature, you do not, oh God, now I'm getting, running afoul of, this, of, of, the, uh, of the food police. You do not need to bring pork shoulder, pork loin, hams up to the 165 degree internal temperature, um, particularly when it's a thick muscle that is kind of far removed geographically <laughs> on the pig, away from like the viscera and the the body cavity. So up in the up in the the shoulder, 145 to 150 degrees is going to work really nice. It's going to keep everything tender and juicy. It'd be just a little bit pink, but not not pink in the medium rare sense. Pink in the in the medium well approaching well done category there. Okay, so anyway, I pulled that out at. I think it was like 142 degrees internal temperature and then tented it with aluminum foil and let that rest while I brought the the poached quinces up to temperature, up to a, a simmer, while I cooked the asparagus that went alongside the roast and all that and the, the overflow uh, heat of the of the roast brought that up probably probably close to 150 between 150 and 155. I mean I didn't measure it at the end. I knew it would be sufficient, and it was it was perfect. It was great. It was uh, certainly not not dried out at all. And because because we had unrolled it and it, because we had un we had butterflied it and then rolled it up. What you do is you break up the continuity of certain muscle groups in there, and then when you cr cut it across the grain you get a really nice mouthfeel you don't get uh, any if there is any any muscle groups that are tougher than other ones they're broken up and they're smaller and they're like kind of um commingled with the, the rest of the, the 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 muscles that are in there so it's a it's a really it's a good way to do pork shoulder other than just cooking it until it falls apart like pulled pork you know what i mean so we cut that across the grain laid it on a platter laid the the stew or the poached uh quinces alongside and then spooned that like vanilla infused poaching liquor over the over the roast itself we laid our asparagus on the opposite side, and then right down the middle of these uh, cross sections of pork, we spooned on some of that quince jelly, and that the residual heat of the meat loosened up the the jelly and uh, allowed it to be not not it didn't liquefy it, but it, it made it a little bit more syrupy, which was really nice. And you look at the pictures there; it turned out fantastic. It was delicious. The 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 sweet contrast with the savory was uh, remarkable the undertones of vanilla and cinnamon and cardamom oh my cardamom cardamom is the best have i mentioned that cardamom's the best cardamom's the best and also the the sweetness of the uh, saint germain and it was muted because it cooked you know you cook the alcohol out of it obviously but then it it sort of blends in with the other bouquet of uh, flavors and aromas and that was really nice. I should mention, oh, I, I, I left it out. 
I did pulse two slices of the dehydrated oranges, orange slices, in the uh, in the spice grinder, and I had added that to that spice kit of paprika and oregano and garlic, salt, pepper, and fennel, and uh, that was that was in the, the spice rub that went inside and outside that pork roast. So uh, that was it. So basically, I got this pork shoulder. It was just an excuse to use a couple of quince products, the poached quince in spiced syrup and the quince jelly. And then, uh, you know, Anytime you're going to cook a big old piece of pork, I love to go the Spanish route with the porchetta seasoning. It is, uh, is fantastic. People in Spain, they really know their way around a pig, and I respect that. <laughs> also, I guess it is uh, culturally um, apropos that you would use quince along with a Spanish-inspired pork dish because uh, there is a quince product called Mendio, which is it's it's similar to the quince jelly except it's uh, more of a quince paste. Um, now I, I, I've had Mendio, but I've also had um, like a guava paste that kind of comes in a brick, and it's uh, it's wonderful. You know, paired with like manchego cheese and charcuterie and things like that, like little little tapas. So the fact that there is like a kind of a, a canonical quince product in Spanish cuisine and then pairing that up with a Spanish inspired uh, pork roast, um, that works too. Okay. All right. So um, quince, check those out. See if, if you find them in the grocery store and you're like, hey, I know what I can do with these now. Then do it because it's really good. All right. All right. Talk to you guys later. Thanks a lot.